You're listening to The Optical Entrepreneur, brought to you by Optical Success Academy and Seiko. Chef Damien Gray and his restaurant Leah in Dublin is winner of two Michelin stars. This is Connor, and on today's episode, I'll be talking with Damien about the unique business philosophy behind his success in the hospitality industry. He's very passionate and inspirational and straight shooting, and there's a ton of lessons in this episode that will help you grow your practice. Enjoy as we take you behind the scenes and into the mindset of a two Michelin star chef. All right, so welcome to the show, Damien. You're our first uh, Michelin star chef to ever join us on the show, so welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. And, uh, and I guess the first thing I would note as an Irishman myself is your Dublin accent's a little bit off. C- can you maybe give us your quick backstory on, you know, how you came to be doing what you're doing and where you're doing it? Um, okay, so basically came to Ireland in 1998 and, and did a couple of uh, years just working through the Michelin, Michelin kitchens here, originally from Australia, um, from a town called Barrow. Um, met my wife uh, while they were in, while she was in Australia, um, and then came back to Ireland because uh, I just literally just came back from uh, living in uh, Glasgow in Scotland. Uh, cut a long story short, never really made it to Ireland. Uh, visas ran out, so I said, "Look, I'll come over because I'd not made it to Ireland yet." So I came over, and here I am. I'm still here. And were you were you working in hospitality? Prior to that, or what was the what was your reason for going into that that industry? Um, okay, so I've been working with food since I was at the, the age of ten. So my first job was cleaning the um, all the stuff in the back of a butcher shop on uh, Saturday mornings, um, and then uh, as the years went on, I went and worked in a fruit and veg shop, and then I started my apprenticeship. So I've been cooking for about thirty years. Um, I did my formal training in Australia in a Greek restaurant called um, BJ's, which uh, was run by a guy called Stephen Stavros. Um, and then, uh, then I moved into the world of, well, what we, our equivalent was of uh, Michelin, which was hat restaurants. Um, and then started traveling, just cooking around, you know, cooked in Scotland, cooked in London, um, and then here in Ireland. Very good. The only, I, I suppose, the reason I got into food was because um, I remember the conversation quite que- uh, clearly. Like I was just coming to the end of my um, my high school, and I actually wanted to be an architect. I had no interest in being a cook. I didn't even it didn't even cross my mind at the time. Um, and I could, and then once the we sort of we got the results and everything, and I'd just fallen short. Now I could have done a bridging course to get me into the into the course, but then uh, to do um, third level education in Australia is pretty big money, and we have uh, a hex system that you know you can pay it off later and all that sort of stuff. But I suppose I needed to I needed to sort of get going, and then uh, my old man turned around to me one day and I said, "I don't know what to be doing now," you know, and he says, "Well, everyone's got to eat, and uh, you know, you've pretty much been working with food the whole time, so." I'd already started um, what you call sort of a, an apprenticeship um, while I was in school. So I just get, I just pretty much finished it just, just after I finished school. So I had it there ready to go anyway. So I just sort of said, okay, look, let's give it a go and see what happens, you know. So, um, and, uh, yeah, like that was it really. Like I sort of just cooked away and then it wasn't really until I was – I suppose I was about 26 where I really sort of started to get into cooking um, because at first I loathed it. I just like, you know, weekends, didn't see your mates, unsociable hours, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was in London and it, and the sort of the, the penny dropped and I was like, mm, yeah, okay, this, 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 this is, I like this. So, and then I just I pursued it as a full-time career then after that. Very good. So I think the- – I talk about Michelin stars and things like that when I'm uh, talking with our members, more as an analogy really than anything else. Like with whatever line of work you're in, you can approach it as it's just another job. You know, we're just serving food. We're just making glasses, whatever. 
or you can try and take it to another level and you know embrace the fact that let's let's do this as well as it can be done and let's put our spin on it and let's kind of attach a higher level of meaning to it um so i you know i love that 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 concept is that something you just kind of fell into or was that a conscious choice have you got because obviously it's a much higher standard you're playing at than most restaurants yeah i um i'm i'm extremely competitive so you know if i do do something i want to be the best at it um so drive is the key factor and you know after that everything else will fall into place you know but if you're determined that you want to achieve something um then nothing should get in your way. Um, but at the same time, um, you got to enjoy it. You have to, if you don't enjoy it, then there's no point doing anything in life if you don't enjoy it. You've got to enjoy what you do. But at the same time, if you do something, be the best. And don't and don't don't settle for second best. Or, or you know, aim for the top and always keep aiming for the top and never and never sort of go. Yeah, don't don't just do it, you know, in a, a mediocre way. You 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 have to put your all to it, and in, sometimes you know, like it can be exhausting, and it can be relentless, and it can be unrewarding, and you know, you feel disappointed, and you know, you definitely do question it at times. You say to yourself, "Is this really going to be all worth it?" But if you're absolutely adamant that you want to be the best of what you'll do, or your craft, or your skill set, then just go hard and really, really put everything you have into it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, so your journey with Michelin, um, obviously you mentioned how you got into working with those types of restaurants in Ireland. Then when you opened your your first restaurant, you I think you quite quickly got a Michelin star. If I'm if I'm right, you then lost it. You then got it back. You recently had two. Um, yeah, that was a journey, all right. So we, I, I started my first business. I finally made the leap after. A long, long time of my wife saying to me that I should open up my own place, but I actually didn't have the confidence to run a business. Um, I was a very competent cook, but I wasn't. A, I, I hadn't. I didn't. I didn't know enough about business, so I was. I was extremely nervous about going on my own. Um, so finally, I met a guy who was in a very similar situation to myself, and we opened up Heron and Grey, which was the first incarnation of um, Leah today. Um, we had a very, very, very small budget, um, and I, we both sort of agreed that we wanted to run the business the, in, a, in a way that was different to the norm. Um, anyway, uh, we got it open, we got running, and uh, then we sort of made a lot of noise within the media here in Ireland, and you know, obviously, Michelin do watch what's going on in the market. So they um, they came out to see us, and uh, they definitely liked what they seen because then that night, or the a couple of weeks after they'd been to us, uh, they made a they made an announcement on Twitter that they uh, the best the best thing that they the best part of their trip to Dublin was discovering Heron and Gray, and that was a big, big, big. Um, accomplishment for us because well and even within the Michelin world because Michelin was up up until that date was you know very stuffy you know white linen you had to do a very sort of certain style of food this was all urban myths though you know Michelin really do focus just on the food and the food only but uh, so you know like um, the fact that we didn't even have a toilet at that stage yeah, uh, so it was. It was still a big thing for for us to even get mentioned or even acknowledged by the guide. And then, uh, yeah, like which in, within six months of that, we um, landed a Michelin star after six months of opening, which was a, pheno- a phenomenal feat. Um, we were, you know, we were, out, we were serving food on IKEA plates, and it was just scraping the barrel to get onto the market as a, as uh, as a, a business owners. So then uh, we fantastic uh, three years, three and a half years of business. You know, business was unbelievable, top of our top of our game, one of the best restaurants in the country. And then um, we were starting to toy with the idea of expanding. 
So we'd already been looking at locations and we were looking at, uh, you know, should we move Heron and Gray into a new location? And then one afternoon, uh, my business partner turned around and says, uh, he'd only just, uh, they, they just, uh, him and his wife had just started a, a family. And he sort of made a very big, very hard decision. And he said, Damo, I'm going to actually not go down the road of every other person in this industry and not see my kids grow up. I want to see my kids grow up. And, uh, yeah, he said, I'm out. I said, okay. And, uh, so that was, a, that was a big shock because like we, we, we were, one hundred percent, guns blazing. So, I was sitting down with my wife that afternoon and discussing, you know, should we take on Heron and Gray and do something ourselves, or should we just sell it? Because the part of the deal with myself and Andrew at the time was is that if any one of us wanted to leave the business at any time, that was it. We had to respect that, you know. So it was either one, the other person buys the other person out, or we sell it on uh, as a market value. So I brought it, um, and then I decided that, you know what, I'm actually going to renovate this, and I'm going to do it to the way I really, really want it. So I gutted it, rebuilt it, and then we uh, opened it up as Leah, and we won the star back, um, and then COVID kicked, literally the year after, a year after we'd opened Leah, and COVID kicked in. Um, so we were closed for two years, on and off, and then we reopened there last year, uh, which is uh, August 2021. Um, but we decided that we were going to change the direction of Leah, and we were really adamant that we were going to uh, focus on working towards getting a second star over the next couple of years. And uh, yeah, we we got the second star this year, which was an amazing, amazing, amazing result. Very good. Was that an aspiration from the very first day when you started with Andrew that we're setting out to be worthy of a Michelin star or did you just focus on doing things the way you wanted to do it? No, I just wanted to do what I want. I wanted to be my own boss. I was tired of answering to people that I felt at the time. And I suppose it was a sense of arrogance from a person that had not run their own business before. Um, I was tired of listening to other people's ideas, so and I felt that I could do something different, as you all do. You know, we all do this. We we always feel that we can run a business better, or you know, at some point of our career, we sort of say to ourselves, oh, "I could do this better." So, no, not we didn't initially go out to achieve stars. We were just wanted to open up our own business and be self sufficient, and you know, be our own bosses, which was, I suppose, for any young on uh, a business owner. That's the key when you open up your own place is be, being the boss, um, which turned out to be just, yeah, <laughs> being the boss can be hard work. <laughs> yeah, when you find out you're the boss, you realize you're, you're working for a lunatic. With, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the buck always stops with you as the boss, you know, so that, that is the, the, the pressure is a lot more intense than it is just as being an employee. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, we didn't go out to, uh, to intentionally get Michelin stars, but you know, we were, we, we, we were adamant that we wanted to deliver a product that was second to none, that you enjoyed it and was good value for money. Well, I think something again, that's really important, particularly for our audience. So, so we kind of work with mainly small independent practices. They're optometrists, opticians. Um, really, you know, what I emphasize is the retail area of it's about helping people look good and feel good in glasses and that whole, that whole part of the business. Um, but often, I mean, our, our group is smart and ambitious, but a lot of the, a lot of normal practice owners would think, you know, we can't compete. We're small. We haven't got a big budget. How can we ever compete with these big change? And I think what, you know, examples of businesses like yours represent is, you're you're small. You don't have you know bottomless pits of money, but you can achieve at a at a world class level. Um, do you mind just just for our listeners who maybe aren't completely familiar with Leah, how how big is the restaurant? How many covers? What kind of location? You mentioned you're not in a swanky location. Can you give us just that a rough overview? Okay, so Leah is roughly the size of two shipping containers put together. Um, it is a twelve. It was a twenty-two seater restaurant, 
that serves a no-choice tasting menu. Um, and it is now, it now since COVID, it now only does 12 people per service, uh, but we reinvented, uh, which I'll explain later, but we reinvented in, so we do multiple services now. Um, it employs seven people. It is open four days a week, um, and it uh, basically, I suppose, yeah, I suppose that's it, that's it really. Like it's 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 extremely small, um, but uh, it's been thoroughly thoroughly thought about. Um, the actual product that we sell is food, okay, and wine, and. Um, but we don't, we don't, uh, we don't let anything um, get in our way. Just because we are in a small space, um, I don't have any backers. I've done everything on my own back. Um, you know, a lot of restaurants at this level, especially at two star level, have very, very big pockets, um, and you just. Um, you don't, uh, you don't uh, let anything get in your way. You, you if you, if you. One of the things that we that I was adamant was with, is that just because I'm in a small space and I have uh, restricting conditions, that didn't stop me. I would find a way to evolve, create, adapt to what I needed to get to or do to get to achieve my goal. So it, it doesn't doesn't stop me one little bit. The fact that I'm in a very 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 small space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh... Can you give us a rough idea of your pricing, Damien? Okay, so we have, so as I uh, just said, like we have three services now. Um, so I'll start from the beginning. So we used to serve just one menu, and we used to do 22 people, and we used to alternate the time slots. So people would 12 people would come in at 7.30. We would start their menu, and then we'd bring in another 10 people at 8.30. And the reason that we did this was because of the space of the, the kitchen. We could only serve 12 people at a time. So we would then alternate courses as the night went on. We would do the 7.30, do one course, then 8.30, we'd do a next course, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We now serve a preview menu, which is very similar to an early bird menu. It is, we say three courses, it's actually seven. It is 65 euros per head, plus you can opt into a wine pairing or a non-alcoholic wine pairing. We then have our lunch on Saturdays, which is um, a, a seven-course, uh, sorry, a six-course tasting menu. It is actually ten courses, and it is a hundred euros. Uh, our preview menu is sixty-five euros, and then we have our full uh, tasting menu experience at eight thirty, um, and it is a hundred and sixty euros, uh, and it is, um, and that is that we do that from eight thirty. Uh, four nights a week. So we offer three packages and we never used to do this before. Um, and when COVID kicked in, you know, we were reassessing and reevaluating our situation. Now, the reason I never did a preview menu before was because I was in a suburb. And normally a menu like that only works when people are going into town, they're about to go to the theater or they're going to a play or they're going to a gig and they want something quick to eat before they go to their, to their uh, destination. So do it, being able to do the preview menu has now allowed me to, to maintain just doing 12 people per service. Now I can emphasize the, the later sitting, the, the full tasting menu, as a premium product. But I also now have the lunch package as well, which is designed for people that have young families um, you know, or just uh, people that don't want to actually go out uh, at, at night. And it is more, um, you come in, it's a tasting menu, you get your wine pairings, you have a great afternoon, you're home and all respectable by nine o'clock, wake up, Sunday's a great day. So we have those three packages, which I feel now makes me, um, it makes Leah very competitive in the market because we're not just dictating one price point. We have multiple price points, multiple entry levels for you to experience our product. Yeah, well, I love the fact that every, like you said earlier, everything is thought out, and it you know comes across even just listening to you describe that that there's just 
strategy behind everything that you have. There's a reason why it's there. It's kind of well thought out. What does this do for people? Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the relatively speaking, being higher end, was there a, what gave you the confidence to to go high end with your restaurant and belief that there was enough people that would want that? Okay, so there's an old saying is that if you build it, they will come. Okay, now that's true to an extent. But it also applies very much in the food world, whereas if your food is good, it doesn't matter where you are, they will come. So the key is, the number one key is, is that we've got to make amazingly tasty, good food. All right. The second thing is, is that location, location, location. This is not the truth whatsoever. If you're good at what you do, people will find you no matter what. The word of mouth is probably still the most powerful tool going out there okay and so that was one of the key strategies of um heron and gray and leo is that we don't advertise whatsoever we pay for no advertising we pay for no marketing and i'm still not doing it to this day because i believe that if you are good and people uh, and people talk and so you put it like this right yourself and your friends come into dinner okay so let's say it's a party of four there's a there's a small factor there that is that one person will speak to 10. So I have a table of four that's just spoken to 40 people and their experience is either a good or a bad experience. Now we go out of our way to make sure it's a good experience. So 40 people now see Leah as a destination that they want to go and come to in the future. So if you keep, if you believe in your product, and you can stand by it. You've got to be able to stand over it 100%. Right or wrong, you've got to be constantly being able to stand over your product. It doesn't matter what you're doing. People will people respect you more if, you, uh, if you're selling an honest product. If you try and smokescreen it whatsoever, you know, with gimmicks or this or, you know, deals or any of that sort of stuff, people see through all that. They know that you're not. They know that you, you you're not confident in what you do. So, believe in your product, stand by your product, and you've got to follow it through to the very end. A business plan is the key to everything. And like, and my business plan has been followed to the letter from day one, and I've not diverted. Even when there was times, and I, I I honestly I put my hand on my heart. Like there was times where I was doing no one, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, we are. We just, we're going to have to change. We're going to have to do something. And then I've set, I stood back and I've said to myself, no, just keep going. Keep believing in what you're doing. They will come. And it's, and, and so far, touch with it. And so far, it really, really has paid off. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, Connor Heaney here. In 2017, after feeling frustrated and underappreciated by our previous land supplier, My practice started working with Seiko as our primary lens company, and we haven't looked back. The Seiko team are a joy to work with. They are extremely helpful and flexible to our needs, which means we can provide far better service to our clients at Jones & Coast Dialing Opticians. Our patients are delighted with the quality of vision they get from their Seiko lenses, and for over four years now, it's been an excellent and profitable partnership with Seiko for my practice. I can't recommend them highly enough. To receive a Seiko information pack, including a special lens offer for podcast listeners, send an email to infouk at seikovision.com with the subject podcast. Find out how Seiko can help your practice the same way they help mine. Send an email to infouk at seikovision.com with the subject podcast. Well, I know I want to I want to ask you about reservations in a minute. I know it's not you know supply supply and demand is definitely in your favor, um, but yeah, I love I love what you said, um, and I think as well a lot of a lot of time business owners they just want more new customers and they think that marketing or advertising is is the answer. When actually the answer is well, no, you just have to be better. You have to refocus on you have to. It, it is. When when you come to dine, when when I when my when a customer comes to me for the first time, I don't make any money off the, them that 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 first time. Okay, it's the second time. It's when they come back, and they keep coming back is actually when you start making the money from that customer's clientele. Okay, mm-hmm. 
when they first get to you, you're basically investing everything that you're doing into making sure that they come back the next time. And that's when you make the money out of them, okay? Mm -hmm. I only need to serve 4,000 people a year, all right? So out of that 4,000 people, I should theoretically have a success rate of 96%, okay? 4% is I can't please everybody. I know that. I'm well aware that I can't please everybody with my product. But the key is, is that even that 4%, if they walk away and they go, it was nice, but it's not for me, that's still a result, okay? Yes, but that's fine. They're not going to come back to me. But at least they're not disappointed because no matter what is that when your customer base is coming to you, they're, they're spending their hard-earned money. Where It doesn't matter what sort of job or how, how wealthy they are. They're spending their money with you. And everybody wants value for money. They want the very best that, that is out there, and they know what they want. So your job is to deliver that without intimidating them or you know um, or making them feel like they didn't receive the the value of money or the quality of service that they're expecting when you produce your you know you deliver your product to them. So doing 4000 people a year is very very um it's it's uh, it's very um strategic in the sense of I know exactly who I need to hit and I know what uh, demographic I'm, I, I need to be uh, pointing my product to and then after that it's all down to me making sure that they get the best experience and the best value for money when they come to my uh, business yeah and I, uh, what I love about your answer that's kind of relevant to our members is so my, my practice which is again we're trying to do what uh, the, we're trying to be the equivalent of Michelin star restaurant in the world of opticians, um, but we're in city center Manchester. So that kind of gives uh, others an excuse to say, well, you know, that's fine for you, Connor. You're in, you're in a big city center. That won't work in my town or my little village or my city. And yet in my industry and, and as in yours, there's so many examples of passionate businesses really thriving in run-of-the-mill locations not you know we're not in mayfair we're not in manhattan it's um so i I see that as a very empowering um point for for business owners to take to heart and just you know just be the best you can be and take it to the highest level you can and like you said that will uh that will attract the right people and and you know again just it's clear that you really know your numbers often the number the number of people you need to support your business and reach the goals you have isn't as big a number as most people think yeah well yeah let's 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 do let's do just two things i'm going to say here right so the first thing is is that if you if you approach an idea with negativity it will end in negativity okay you have to be you can't go into something and say it won't work because what you need to say is i have this problem what solutions do I have accessible to me? Instead of saying, I have a problem and I can't go forward, what are the solutions? I say to the guys in the kitchen, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. So this is to encourage them to think about the problem and solve the problem themselves instead of relying on somebody else to, to solve a problem for them. So if you say, my business won't work because I don't have the footfall or I don't have the media reach, or I don't have the accessibility, then find solutions. The solutions are the key to getting out of this negativity. If you, you can't have negativity whatsoever within your drive or your, your uh, 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 plan moving forward. Yeah, so I was talking about, uh, you know, believing that it doesn't matter about your location. It's not about, you know, here we're in a big city center, works for you, but it won't work for us. It's a... You got to say to yourself, "Look, the, we 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 live in a world now where you don't even need to have a, a shop front anymore." Like you, you, I'll use my my um, my field here. We have now this thing called dark kitchens approaching upon us. So we ha- now have business businesses that actually work behind in a in a in a warehouse in a factory somewhere, producing meals and giving them to people at home. We, you know, this is the world that we now are, are, are 
approaching. The, the, you don't even need a shop front because we have the internet. We have so much. We have all these amazing tools at our disposal now. I suppose what happens, what's happening as well is that we actually have too much to work with. So what people need to do is people need to identify the most powerful tools that they can use in the right areas. So here's some examples. Twitter is an extremely powerful tool for getting your message out. Don't use Twitter for photos. Nobody cares because we scroll too fast through it. You ha- you're literally scrolling at a pace of around one, you know, a half a second per post. So you can imagine your message will get lost so fast. That's fine. But if you have, if you use Twitter just as a launch pad, as a notice board, it works amazingly well. Instagram is unbelievable for imagery. That's it. Don't worry about the stories. Nobody cares about the stories on there. But if the image is good and it's relevant and it's if you can uh, make that image work to the demographic or the age group that you're trying to achieve or trying to reach out to, it is very, very powerful again. But then we also have things like TikTok. TikTok is unbelievably powerful. 90,000 people a day use TikTok in Ireland. That is, that is a phenomenal reach, okay? So 90,000 people are looking at TikTok every single day. So you're saying to yourself, okay, if I even get one reel out there that make that touches, you're going to have, you're going to reach a, a massive audience immediately. And this, this, this works for all businesses. You know, like I have mates that are in the building industry. They're now moving into TikTok. They're moving into Instagram. They're moving into more relevant platforms to get their message out and your website is everything your website is your window to the world and it must sell your story in the first page you have to have the story right the imagery right in the first page if it's too busy nobody's interested if it's too simple nobody's interested it's got to be a balance and that they these are these are the keys to 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 um exposure and then location is secondary. It really, really is a secondary product. Yeah. Um, just going back to your your numbers, so how many people you're seeing in a year. So that question that then comes to mind is, how do you know how big is big enough? And, you know, you're, you're constantly sold out. Um, are there temptations to expand the numbers? And do you then worry about diluting what actually makes you successful? How, do you, how personally do you know when, you know, this is the right size for us? Okay. That was actually where we were going to, uh, I was going to answer there. Okay. So let's use two analogies here. We'll use my restaurant and then we'll use a city center location. Okay. Now my restaurant, for example, um, I'll, I'll use um, my restaurant. I think these aren't the actuals, but I'm just going to give you a, 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 an idea. So I pay 15,000 euros in the suburbs for rent, okay? And then my rates would be, say, seven or eight grand, okay? So you're talking 23, 24,000 euros a year in rent and rates. Now, if I was in the city center, my rent would be 120,000 euros plus 15,000 to 20,000 for rates, okay? So now I'm looking at 150,000 compared to my 25,000 or 24,000. Right, so then I only do twenty-two people a night, but then my restaurant in town has to do minimum sixty a night. Okay, minimum. So I only have to do twenty-two, but the restaurant in town has to do sixty. So the restaurant, and let's say our our spend per heads are exactly the same. All right, so let's say our spend per head is a hundred euros. Town is a hundred euros. Okay. I actually fare better in my situation than I do in a bigger premises because the bigger you go, the more expenditure you have at the end of the month. The wages are bigger. The food, the food costs are bigger. The rents are bigger. The electricity is bigger. The heating's bigger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you will have more problems making sure that your restaurant is consistently full all the time. Now, that restaurant in town that's doing 60 covers has to have 60 people every single night of the week. 
and that is not a viable business in the restaurant world, okay? Unless you're very, you know, you've done very, very well up the top end, or you're a good mid-market restaurant, or you're a good cheap, uh, 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 good uh, cheap restaurant as well. But the problem is, there's only a very few that can pull that off. So my logic of thinking was is that if I keep it small, keep it manageable, I only have to I only have to reach a certain amount of people. So I only need to achieve a certain amount every single time, a, a certain amount of money every single night, right? Okay, so let's say I'm only making 4,000 euros a night, okay? Okay, how many staff can I have for that 4,000 euros? Right, that's the first thing, okay? Then I say to myself, all right, so I can, uh, that with that sort of money, I can only work with three staff to keep my staff, uh, keep my wage costs at uh, 28 to 30%, all right? Then my food costs need to be at 25%. So there's 50% gone already, okay? And, and then I need to make sure that my overheads are roughly around 20 or 30% of that as well, all right? So, so what I'm doing is, is I'm saying that my business can produce 4,000 euros a day, okay? To be successful, you need to budget within your parameters of what you know you can achieve comfortably as sales, okay? So if you're selling whatever you're selling, you need to know confidently that you're going to sell, let's say you're selling, um, we'll use glasses, right? So you need to be selling 20 pairs of glasses a day as your bottom line, all right? Then you basically you design your business based on your bottom line. The bottom line is everything. Now, if you can get, if you can make sure that you can uh, design or build or uh, create a business that your bottom line is achievable, through pandemics, through recessions, through glitches in the market, whatever the case may be. Now, I did think I'd done well in design leader to be recession-proof, but it wasn't pandemic-proof. <laughs> so I definitely learned a lot of lessons through the pandemic. But at the same time, when I uh, any venture that you go into to start with, I always look at the bottom line, and then I say to myself, I, mu- I, ca- I can only afford to pay for two staff. That means I have to work double the amount of time because that's my business. Then I say, okay, I can only spend so much on food. So I have all these these targets that I must hit. Now, anything after that is what I call cheddar. So anything, once we once we exceed that bottom line, everything's cheddar after that. And so you stay within that. And the problem is, is that you, especially with restaurateurs, is that they think by going bigger, you're going to make more money. Yes, you can but you also run the risk of losing a lot more money as well. And there's always the double edge to the sword. No matter how busy or how um, uh, good your product is, it could be 20 years, you could still get hit by the sword after 20 years. So you must be prepared for those sort of scenarios all the time. Yeah. Well, I, I find that as well. A lot of small business owners or a lot of small practice owners will often have you know, the way they'll, without thinking about it accurately, sometimes they will think the way, the route to growth is to open more stores and they'll end up with like four or five underperforming or average practices all scattered around, but not really be any further ahead rather than realizing actually you can, often you can achieve your goals with one or two really, really well thought out, well put together practices with the you know a really well organized motivated team um so yeah it's not it's not just as simple as go bigger and bigger and bigger and that's going to make it make it better um yeah i think when you spread yourself too thin okay you need okay so every time you expand you need another one of you in that location okay now you can Expand and you can find like-minded people that believe and can sell your product in a different location, and then yeah, you're on a winning uh, on a winning streak there. But you need to make sure that you've got really good offerings uh, or good packages put together for people to be able to stay and, and follow those uh, new locations or those new products uh, all the way through. So yeah, it can be done, and. And you know, multiple people have done it, and they do it really, really well. But the key is, is that you've got to, you know, you basically when you hire, you've got to have someone that is going to be you or better than you to execute execute 
that 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 that, that next phase. Um, so if I was to open up another restaurant, or um, I would have to find someone that is better than me, um, and or is just as good as myself in my in in delivering what I would see being the um, um, seeing the final product. But also at the same time, you have to be prepared to let them input because all employees want input. They want to be feel part of the growth of the business. They want to feel like they're doing something worthy or um, or constructive. So you have to be also prepared not to micromanage as well. So you've got to be really, really careful. It's a real fine line, but it, it can be done. But at the same time, you need to find the right people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's obvious from reading about you as well that your people are a uh, you know, really important to you and a big part of your success. And uh, I think recently you've you made the decision to close a restaurant one month, uh, one weekend a month, so that your team can have a weekend off. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you think about your your team and how you treat them and how that all came my together? Team, my team is everything. Okay, I am nothing without the team. So. How do I keep and maintain my team? I have a very successful rate with my teams. I don't lose staff members. I pay well. I look after them. I treat them with respect. Um, and then, uh, but that's not enough. Okay. Let's be honest here. Everybody wants more. Okay. Okay. So what can I do? So the first thing I did was there was a place coming up here within uh, the Black Rock market and over the years, it had sort of driven me mad because it just sort of run to the – it had been neglected. And I thought to myself, if, I, if the opportunity ever arose, I'd take it. Now, it did arise, but it arrived in the pandemic. And this was at the same time that everybody was questioning their careers, okay? You know, everyone had a lot of time off and they were looking at, you know, do I really want to work all these hours again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then there was also the um, – uh, a, a, the big thing about wages in living, you know, you know, being able to live within your means and still save and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So this opportunity arose, and I sort of sitting back and I said to myself, "Well, I can't really afford, or I can't really expose myself too much at the moment because I don't know which way the market's going to go or which way the pandemic's going to end." And then I had an idea of what if I became the silent partner. And then I let, and then I create a company where all my team are the directors of that company. So I approached them with this idea, and everybody had to invest a small amount of money. And we brought the place next door, and we built, we renovated it, and we rebuilt it, and we created a new business with multiple um, uh, ideas in the business plan for it to grow over the years. So we now own, as a team, we now own the business next door together. Okay. So that was the first thing that we did. Uh, and so I don't, I don't, I don't say anything. I'm the majority shareholder, but I don't say anything. I'm a complete silent partner. It's their product. It's their, it's their business. They do what they do with it. I only guide them in the right direction from a financial point of view. Then I looked at Leah. I looked at the amount of hours that the staff were doing in Leah, and I said to myself, do you know what? I could be greedy, and I could push and push and push and push and push, and then I'm going to start losing staff eventually. And I don't want to lose these staff because I've invested so much time into this team. So then I turned around to them, and we had an opportunity there in October last year where we had to close the restaurant for two weeks on the weekends for privates. Now, the privates didn't go ahead, but yet I'd already compensated by opening another day. So I said to myself, look, okay, look, this is not going to happen. We've already covered the costs. Let's take the weekend off. So when my team came back after their weekend off, they were full of energy. They'd gone away. They'd done things with their family. They'd done things that they'd been wanting to do for ages. They were living. They had a weekend off within, without it being their holidays. And their productivity almost tripled in the um, uh, within a week. So we did it again a couple of weeks later, and the same thing again. They came back full of beans, ready to rock and roll, unbelievable work product, uh, productivity. So, 
So uh, I'm very open with the team. So they all know the financials. They know the ins and outs of the business because it's very important that they learn as well as they go along in case they ever want to open up their own businesses. So we sat down, we crunched the numbers, and I said, okay, look, we need to make X amount of money. And if we can do that, I'm prepared to close the restaurant once a month. So we came up with a plan that we would do Saturday lunches every other weekend. And then we can shut down the month, uh, shut down the weekend, the restaurant once a, uh, a weekend, once a month, and everybody gets a long weekend. So we've been doing it, and it's been working amazing. It's unbelievable. So their team, they voted on it. They decided where they wanted to create the, to generate more revenue. They decided how they were going to do it, and the ownership was on them. So I was happy, more than happy, to do what they what they wished. Because they figured out the problems, they solved the solution. They gave, they came to me with a solution. We got the solution, and off we went. So teamwork paid off. Now the guys get a great, um, they have a good work life balance now. Um, and then when we got the second star, everybody, everybody, uh, everybody, um, you know, we uh, pay rises went up across the board. You know, like it was instant. So you know, like I, I'm, co- I constantly reinvest in the team. I never, I'm. I don't uh, just take, 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 take. There's a lot of reinvestment in my team. My team is everything to me. So it's very, very important that we look after them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the intent behind it as well. And really, really, you could say your success has come about by doing, you know, the intent of doing the best, delivering the best possible experience to the to your customer mm-hmm. and then also creating the best possible experience for your, for your team in terms of what it's like to... to to work there and be along for the ride. So um... Team, teams teams come and go. They're players. As my old boss used to say to me, he goes, you're a player, I'm a stayer. Right? And I never really understood that until I became a restaurateur. Or I owned my own restaurant. And it is true. So, But I don't want to lose my team. I, I, I like these people that I work with and I work and I want them to be um, – and, and I, want, I, I value everything that they do. But I need to make sure that they're getting something out of it. They, you know, they they've got lives as well. They want to grow. They want to invest, and they want to do more things. You know, I've got to make sure that I'm there for them. So if I can get if I can get a minimum of two to three years out of each staff member, job done. Yeah, and that's impressive in your particularly in your in the hospitality industry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The turnover is unbelievable. Yeah. So I'm I'm just conscious of your of your time, Damien, and I know you're. It's not necessarily through getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but you're constantly reinventing and evolving and adapting. Um, what's next, or what are you, you know, what's it, what are you excited about at the moment? Yeah, I have a few things in the pipeline, and I'm looking. One of one of the next key key uh, parts to Leah is its own farm. So that was. <sighs> So yeah, so now now is we're working towards um, obtaining land and s- establishing a farm on the land uh, to to sustain the restaurant, uh, with the intention of maybe eventually moving Leah to the farm. Um, so that is that is definitely one product uh, project there. Um, we also have I'm looking at another project of. Um, um, a sort of a, I suppose a, a barbecue warehouse is a project that I'm, I'm I'm playing around with at the moment. Does it does it you know does it does it take life? I don't know just yet. Um, and yeah, I suppose another than that is just sitting back and enjoying two stars. Like it's a but to achieve two stars as a chef is like a it's the mecca of awards for me. You know, like it's it's that guide. I've I've constantly sort of assess myself as a cook and how I'm cooking and where I'm at in my stages of each part of my career. And the guide's always been there for me to sort of lean on, reference to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and to achieve such a huge um, acknowledgement from a world-class um, institution is, for me, that's, that's the be-all and end-all as, as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to enjoy that. I'm definitely going to um, sort of take time and you know, enjoy working and, and cooking at a two-star level and um, 
and 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 realistically, to be honest with you, just constantly making sure that I can still deliver an amazing product for my guests because my guests are everything. So, yeah. Well, I think for someone, when you said initially you lacked the the confidence to to run your own business. Um, it's really obvious that the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well in you, and it's <laughs> amazing at what you've uh, what you've done. So, so well done. Uh, any anywhere people should follow you, or kind of just keep an eye, keep an eye on where you're up to. Where would you send them to? Um, I suppose I used to be extremely vocal on social media, and then I got into trouble <laughs> because I I am very much I will tell you how I feel. Um, and I don't hold back. So I sort of was advised that I needed to calm down on social media. <laughs> but generally social media is usually where you'll see me uh, have my, uh, uh, you know, words of wisdom as such as, a, as, as as some like to call it. But most of my tweets these days have been or my, my posts on Instagram are all very much vetted and screened before I actually post. So, but um yeah, like that. That would be the the usual place. So just you know, just uh, pop onto the website and see what we're up to each and every every now and then. Like I like doing these sort of stuff. I like talking to people about business because um, a lot of people don't realize that. Well, everybody when the it's funny. I had this conversation with um, uh, one of the journalists here in Ireland. When you look at um, hospitality, it's funny because when you say restaurant the way your mind thinks is very funny because you can say restaurant people go, Oh yeah, that's a lovely place. It's got really, really nice food. But then if you say business, their meaning is completely different. So I enjoy, I I'm very much, I love the the sums and the math and the, and the, and the, the strategy behind business as I've learned, as I've gone along. So I really get a good kick out of business. So when people like yourself ask me to talk to other business owners, I really, 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 really enjoy it because um, I learn from your people like yourselves and people. Hopefully, someone gets something from me as well. You know, so. Well, uh, yeah, it's been amazing today. So thank you for being so generous with your time, Damien. And uh, yeah, I wish you continued continued success. Thanks for for joining us. You're more than welcome. Thank you very much. You've been listening to another episode of The Optical Entrepreneur. If you've enjoyed today's program, please share us with a friend. Visit theopticalentrepreneur.com where you can get additional free resources to help you and your team build a better business. If you're serious about taking your practice to the next level, consider signing up for Optical Success Academy membership and the Look Over My Shoulder marketing program, which you can find out more about at theopticalentrepreneur.com. Thanks for listening. Make it a great month and I'll see you right here next time on The Optical Entrepreneur.